Thank you, Matt. Thank you, worship team. Isn't it awesome to praise the Lord together, hearing each other's voices? I love a cappella when just the instruments fade away and we just hear uh, the, the body of Christ united with our voices, all singing the same thing, the glories of our Lord together. It's an amazing thing. We're going to go ahead and ask you to open up your Bibles to Hebrews. We'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 10, so you can go ahead and start turning there. I'm going to just apologize right now, one, for breaking the no drinks in the sanctuary policy. I'm going to go ahead and do that right now. Um, and the other reason I'm going to apologize is because I've been having a lot of, like, coughing fits. And I never know when they're going to come on. So, Cody, I might need your help if I just kind of double over on my side over here and start wheezing and coughing. Just go ahead and turn on the mute button and save everyone. That will also be all of your cue, too. If you need to cough, I know there's a lot of sick people out there. That'll be your cue. You can go ahead and start coughing, too, and we'll just all get it out at the same time. That way, it'll be uh, cut down on the unnecessary uh, interruption. A uh, couple of things, though, I, I forgot to mention in our announcements. One is that Aaron Betts, uh, who's been my wonderful intern for this last semester, is going to be leaving us for Moody Bible Institute uh, this coming week. So uh, just a special thanks to Aaron and all of his help in youth ministry. And uh, we just pray the Lord's blessings on him and his life as he uh, just uh, is entering this new phase of life. And just look forward to seeing what God is going to do in and through him. So please be praying for him. And, uh, and also for Preston, because i got to meet with Preston after church today. Preston wanted me to remind him. So, Preston, there's your reminder. All right, so glad we got that out of the way here. Is everybody in Hebrews now? All right, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 19 through 25. And I'm going to add in a little bit in there. I'm going to skip over scripture, which I hate doing. We're going to read 19 through 25. And then I'm going to continue on verses 32 through 36. So... Uh, just give you a little heads up, we're going to be skipping there oh, just a little bit. So if you'll just uh, read silently to yourself as, as I read out loud here and we'll get started. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 here. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great, uh, great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm going to skip to verse 32 now. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Let's pray real quick. Uh, dear Lord, I just pray that you will be with us all today as we just open up your word. Uh, God, we know that in, uh, in these pages of Scripture, we do not just see uh, good ideas. We do not just see words written that 
uh, are just, uh, just normal words, God. These are your words uh, spoken for the benefit of your children. And so, God, I just pray today that our hearts will be encouraged. Uh, God, I just pray that our hearts will be strengthened. Uh, God, I pray that we will be stirred up today to, uh, to love and, and good works and to just be able to serve you, Lord, uh, not just because uh, we are told to, but because it's born out of a, of a confidence and a hope that is born out of the truth of Scripture that Christ loves us, that you love us, us so much, God, that you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins. And so, God, just pray that you will just stir us up today so that we can honor you in all aspects of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the book of Hebrews was written between 60 and 70 A.D., the author, we're not really exactly sure who the author is. It could have been Paul, Apollos, Peter, and there's a number of other people that are conjectured to have written it. It's unlikely to be Paul because the style of it is quite different from the other letters that he wrote. And honestly, I don't think it's fair that Paul gets that much extra credit for writing more of Scripture. So I prefer to think somebody else writing the book of Hebrews, uh, even though Paul is a great writer also. Uh, the audience, though, uh, due to the amount of references in the, uh, to the Old Testament and the sacrificial system and whatnot, the, uh, the audience seems to be uh, those of Jewish ancestry, Jewish background, and, but they seem to also be Christians. So Messianic Jews seem to be the audience uh, in light here. What's interesting, though, is uh, during 60 and 70 A.D., uh, Nero, the emperor Nero, was, uh, was emperor over Rome and is known for being a particularly brutal emperor towards Christians. Uh, if, you had a, if you were part of a religion that was officially recognized by the government, generally things went okay for you. Judaism was one of those religions that was accepted in Rome. Uh, but Christianity had not been, and, and subsequently there was a lot of persecution towards Christians. And the Jews were struggling in particular because they had, the Jewish Christians, uh, because they had changed over from a, a, a faith that was, you know, rooted in Judaism, that was accepted politically, to one that was not, Christianity. And when they had made that switch, they, were, they uh, had all the persecution that came from it. And like that last portion that we read, you saw some of that persecution that was coming their direction. And the, Hebrew, the, the Jewish uh, Christians there in the book of Hebrews, they were, I think, really struggling with, you know, weren't we better off in Judaism? Weren't we better off with the sacrificial system? Weren't we better off before, you know, and, and I don't know about you guys, but, you know, sometimes those questions just seem to pop up in life. Wasn't I better off, you know, before this, you know, maybe even without God? It seems like my life had less issues or less problems. It's like, it's like I expected my faith to solve all of my problems, and they're not going away. It just seems like they're, they're snowballing. It seems like life just just getting bigger and bigger, you know, it's, it's just getting bigger than I can handle. And, uh, and I think the Jewish Christians were really struggling through this, this, uh, this issue. And the author of Hebrews, whoever he, was, uh, whoever he was, was writing to strengthen them. He was writing to remind them of the truth of Jesus Christ and encourage them. And that's what I hope that we can all glean today as we look through uh, this passage together. I want to hone in on one particular part of this passage because it's really, you know, uh, there's a lot to deal with in this portion that we read this morning. I want to focus in on verses 24 through 25 and use it as a diving board to kind of uh, address a couple of these elements of Scripture that I think are, are going to be very beneficial to us today. So verses 24 through 25 says this, And let us consider, let us ponder, let us think about, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider. Let us consider this morning. This tells me three things. First off is that we need stirring up. We need stirring up. Like an oil vinaigrette, I don't personally like oil vinaigrettes, but those healthy, health-conscious people out there who do like them, you understand the concept of an oil vinaigrette. You've got oil and vinegar and various spices that are all mixed together. And if you allow that oil vinaigrette to sit, the oil and the vinegar will, will what? What will they do? And they separate. And so you actually got to shake it to make it useful before you pour it on your salad. You are in danger of, if you don't, do that, you're in danger of getting an exorbitant amount of vinegar, another one of those things I'm not particularly prone to enjoy or like, but I recognize the virtue of vinegar too. Uh, that vinegar has to be mixed with the oil in order for it to, be, to carry significance, for it to be tasty, for it to be good for consumption for us, although some people just drink straight up vinegar, which I don't like either. So anyways, that's besides the point. It's totally ruined my illustration. You gotta, you gotta like... Uh, You've you got to mix the two together, and that's, that's what this passage is saying, is that let us consider how to stir up, how to shake, how to mix up uh, one another to love and good works. How do we mix up our lives? Now, when I look at my life, and you know, 2015 has been a hard year, a good year, but there are a lot of hard, hard things that happen, uh, a lot of vinegar, so to speak. Uh, personal loss, my father died this last year. Uh, a lot of personal loss in you guys' life, too. And I know in youth ministry, uh, we've, we've all been hit hard. A lot of our youth leaders have lost uh, close loved ones. Uh, a lot of our students have lost close loved ones, students at Penfield and, and Harper Creek who have passed away this past year. And, you know, and just a lot of hard things. You know, I, I can't, you know, go into enough detail. You know what's going on in your own lives. Just, just feel the vinegar in life, you know, that sometimes bring that, brings that that bitterness of taste into our lives. And in, in and of themselves, that vinegar can be discouraging. That vinegar can be, you know, it can take, just wear us out. It becomes weary. We become overwhelmed, and it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to lose hope, but then that's the beauty of the oil of what I think Scripture is. That oil of Scripture comes in, and when it infuses our experiences, of the, even the vinegar experiences, when Scripture infuses our life and our experiences, all of a sudden when it's shaken up together, we get something that is useful, that is beautiful, and that is amazing. I want to, to point to verses 32 through uh, 36 here. And I'm going to read through this passage that we had just read through a second ago, and I'm going to take out uh, all the kind of the scriptural side of things. I'm going to take out the oil, and I'm just going to leave the vinegar in this passage. I want you to just hear the vinegar of, of life that is happening to these Hebrew, uh, these, uh, the, the Jewish Christians in the book of Hebrews. And it says in verse 32, and again, I'm just cutting out key portions. I'm trying not to be heretical in doing this, but I just want to make you make a point of what happens when, when truth infuses vinegar of life. But recall the former days when you had hard struggles with sufferings. You were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Your houses were plundered, your property was plundered, and you've grown tired, and you are in need of endurance. Did you hear that? It was just kind of depressing to read it that way, that passage. You're just like, man, these guys are getting beat up. Their property 
their property has been plundered and taken away from them. You know, they're, they're being persecuted pretty seriously here. Hard struggles with sufferings, publicly exposed to repro- reproach and affliction. That just speaks to vinegar. That's just like the bitterness of life. But then I see the beauty of this, the oil, the oils come in and infusing and saturating this passage and making it something amazing. Let's read it as it is written in Scripture. It says the truth of Scripture coming into that, that vinegar. But recall the formal, former days when you were enlightened. You endured. You hear that sense of hope that's there. You endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. But even in the midst of that, you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. And you knew that yourselves had a better possession. They had the knowledge of Scripture and the truth of Scripture. You did this joyfully because you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, yes, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Did you hear the beauty of of taking, you know, when it's just the vinegar, it's overwhelming. But then when you have the truth of God's word and scripture coming and infusing that, all of a sudden it takes on a a total different charge. It's one of, of hope and of endurance and of confidence and what the Lord has done, and continue on, and to continue on. I've got a video this morning I want to show you, and it's of a, a man named it's, it's Pastor Craig Rochelle out of Oklahoma. I really enjoy listening to him. But uh, he reads off, I think, uh, and you'll kind of get the gist of it, he kind of reads through, and you'll see the words scrolled on the screen, something that I think is just kind of life as we lived it, life that is devoid of Scripture and truth. And then he reverses it and infuses it with the truth of Scripture. And all of a sudden, that, again, that vinegar becomes mixed with the oil of, of God's Word and becomes something powerful. Brenda, can you go ahead and start that? I am a normal person. And I refuse to believe that Christ has risen from the dead. I'm completely certain my own view of religion is more important than believing in Jesus, the Son of God. I have my priorities straight because my success, lots of money, and popularity is way more important than family, faith, and serving God. I tell you this, once upon a time, family stayed together, but this is no longer true. This is a generation unwilling to commit. Normal people say I'll be broke, divorced, and spiritually empty. I do not concede that I will be weird and different from the crowd. In the future, I will travel the broad, comfortable, and normal path. No longer can it be said that my life will count. It will be evident that I'm short-sighted, selfish, and only living for me. It's foolish to presume that I am different and can change the world. Unless I become weird and look at life from another perspective. I am different and can change the world. It is foolish to presume that I am short-sighted, selfish, and only living for me. It will be evident that my life will count. No longer can it be said that I will travel the broad, comfortable, and normal path. In the future, I will be weird and different from the crowd. I do not concede that I'll be broke, divorced, and spiritually empty. Normal people say this is a generation unwilling to commit, but this is no longer true. 
Family stayed together once upon a time. I tell you this, family, faith, and serving God is way more important than my success, lots of money, and popularity. I have my priorities straight because believing in Jesus, the Son of God, is more important than my own view of religion. I am completely certain Christ has risen from the dead, and I refuse to believe that I am a normal person. Isn't that incredible, guys? You see life devoid, you know, of just of the oil of Scripture, the truth of God's Word, just standing alone as it is, just the vinegar of life, and then we see the truth of God's Word engaging that and being mixed up and stirred in someone's life. And, and it's incredible the power that that holds when we stir each other up, when we infuse God's Word into our experiences, helping them to make sense and to, to breed hope and to strengthen us for that journey that we have in Christ. Why do we need stirring? To ensure the oil of Scripture is in constant contact with the experiences of our lives. This Christmas was one that I wish that I could uh, have a redo. We talked about that, Eunice and I. We want a redo on this Christmas because we were sick. We went up to Barrick Hill and, and we just all of our family was sick. I won't go into details, but we all got sick and it was pretty nasty and our power went out, which just made it even harder and and uh, Eunice and I, you know, a couple of us adults, we're just kind of like, well, this is the worst Christmas ever. And, uh, you know, made some comments like that. And I had to catch myself because I was tucking in Natalie one night. And uh, Natalie was like, this is the worst Christmas ever. And I heard her repeat my words. And, uh, and it kind of struck me. And I was like, uh-oh, I need to be a little more careful as a parent what I say. And I asked her, well, I was like, why is that, Natalie? And Natalie looked at me and she was like, well, she was like, because we're all sick. And, uh, and then she asked me, she's like, uh, is God mad at us? Because we're all sick. And, uh, and it was like, oh, my goodness. It's like that, that vinegar, the vinegar in my life had poured over into her life, and, and she was struggling through that on her own. And uh, it was incredible, though, because it opened up a perfect opportunity, a conversation to bring the oil of God's word and God's truth and said, you know, Natalie, God didn't come because our lives are perfect, because Christmas is perfect. I can't guarantee one day out of the whole year is perfect for you. That's why Christ came. It was because we're sick. Christ came is because we're sick when, uh, on Christmas. He came because we're sick all the times of the year, and we need his love and his redemption. And, uh, and we're sick because of our sin, not because God is punishing us. It's because of our own choices. And all of a sudden, that, that conversation that was, you know, very bitter and, and you know, kind of frustrated with life, uh, you know, was, was mixed with the oil of truth and became something sweet and precious. And I think a, an important thing for Natalie and me to experience together is really neat. We need to, it's so important that we stir one another up. What is the result of not being stirred up? What happens if we don't stir each other up? How many of you are health people out there? Raise your hands. I pick on you a lot, I know. Some of you are health people out there. My mom was, a, 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 was really into all kinds of health stuff, and one of the things that she uh, just, uh, decided to experiment on us was, uh, was all-natural peanut butter. And uh, some of you know what all-natural peanut butter is. All-natural peanut butter is, it has none of the preservative, it has none of the, the bonding agents in it that keep the peanut oils and the peanut together. Consequently, I hated the stuff because every time you use it, you have to stir it up. You have to stir it up as much as you possibly can. But no matter how hard I stir it up, I can never get it quite right. 
and the top layer of peanut butter was always like a syrupy mess. It was like just like nastiness. I'd put it on my sandwich, and it would be like a runny peanut butter soggy sandwich, which is just not right. But the wor even worse is once you get past the top half, you get down to the bottom half, and you get this just like this rock-hard peanut brick substance down on the very bottom of, of the jar. And you scoop it out, you put it on your bread, and it won't even smear. It's just like this ball of peanut butter that's like, <laughs> it smashes your bread, and it's just a rock that's sitting there. And, and essentially, uh, Scripture is what happens when, when we don't stir another, uh, one another up is exactly this illustration. That oil is separate, oil Scripture is separated from our hearts, and we become hardened. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any, uh, any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. It says, But exhort one another, encourage one another every day. This shows the urgency that we are stirring each other up, guys. This is not something we just do on occasion. It's like every day, as long as it called a day. Is it called a day now? Is it called a day now? Is it called a day now? I, I won't keep going, but you get the idea. As long as you can call it today. Tomorrow, can you call it today? That gets a little confusing. But tomorrow, you'll be able to say it's today still. It's like it's showing you the urgency of, and the need for stirring each other up constantly. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Guys, we've got a responsibility here for, for each other in our church to stir them up. So that their hearts, our hearts, my heart, will not become hardened by the deceitful of sin. This is not a pastor responsibility. This is not, you know, a teacher in my Sunday school or president of my class responsibility. This is an us responsibility. It says that you take care of brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called a day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's why it's important, important that we stir one another up is so that our hearts will not be hardened towards the Lord. We are all responsible to help each other with stirring. It's the other thing that I gleaned from that. Not, it says in this passage right here, it says, not neglecting to meet to together as is the habit of some. Not neglecting to meet together. I've heard a lot of, sometimes people will be like, you know, I don't need to go to church. I do devotions on my own. You know, I can do my own church, and besides, churches are filled with hypocrites. You know, you heard all those excuses and stuff, but do you ever think that church isn't just about you? This passage says, brothers, you need to go and get stirred up. You need to go and stir up other people. That's why we can't forsake the gathering together of believers, is because we all need to be stirred. I used to go down to Mexico with a youth group, and, um, and we used to uh, mix concrete. They didn't have a, a mixer that uh, you could just, you know, shove it in there and the motor would mix it all together. We had to do it on a tarp. We had to shovel all of the ingredients together and then we had to mix it by hand. And concrete, if you've ever mixed concrete by hand, it wears you out. It's tiring. It's frustrating. And doing it alone is no fun at all. You get tired and you get discouraged. And there's nothing like having other guys, other youth group guys who are just aching to show off for the girls come over next to you and start shoveling the, you know, all of the, the rock and the water and the cement mix all together. And it's encouraging having other brothers and sisters come along and, and mixing together. And that's the imagery that I think God really wants us to get, uh, you know, get a hold of here is that we need to, to take care to, to stir each other up. We can't stir alone. We need other people to come alongside of us. 
I like to call it another word, uh, instead of saying stir people up, another version of scripture will, will say provoke. Provoke uh, probably brings a lot of negative connotations to your mind. If you have brother and sisters in your life, raise your hand if you've got brothers or sisters, then you know what provoke really means. Provoking is, is um, well, for example, my little brother knew the exact right buttons to push on me. He loved provoking me uh, to anger. He knew just what to do. Uh, he would intentionally, he would go and pour, in the middle of the day, he would go and pour a bowl of cereal. And he would intentionally go and he would find me. And he would sit next to me. And he would proceed to eat his cereal in complete silence, nothing else going on, just a over and over and over again. He knew how to provoke me. He knew how to push my buttons. He could have gone anywhere else in the house, but no, he chose to come and sit next to me and eat cereal right next to my ear. We knew it comes so naturally for us to know how to provoke each other, doesn't it? God's saying we need to be professional, professional provokers. Thankfully, it's not to this degree. This is not what God is wanting us to do. What he's wanting to do is to be professional provokers. It was amazing this last time we went to Arizona for my anniversary and got to hang out with my, that same little brother. And you know what he did intentionally this time? He came over and he sat down next to me. He didn't have a bowl of cereal. Thank the Lord, I might have thumped him. He came over and he sat down next to me and he opened up his, his laptop and he was like, John, have you ever seen this video by Veritas? And I was like, no. And he, he showed it to me and it was this incredible video that just talked about God's word and and uh, apologetics, and, and he encouraged me, and he provoked me. He started pushing buttons in my life that were very different than the buttons that he used to push. And I was like, wow, we, we need to be professional provokers. We know how to push people's buttons. Let's make sure that we're pushing the right ones to encourage them, to stir them up, to stir them up. Now the question is, it begs a question, uh, why are we stirring up? Why are we provoking? Why are we professional provokers of each other? What is the end? The end is to love and good deeds. For love and good deeds. What encouragement is not? Encouragement is not empty compliments given to make someone feel good about themselves. It is not an exercise in self-esteem building. We don't want our... To, we will, I have nothing to be confident in, guys. I have no natural gifts and abilities to be prideful of. Like Paul said, he was like, I count all things lost except Christ and him crucified. When we encourage each other, it's not for us to be confident in what we are doing. You know, it's really easy to go and say, you got a, a nice voice. You know, you look really pretty today. And those things are, they're not bad, but what are we, what are we really doing? We're just, we're trying, uh, a lot of times it's, that's just building up their confidence in themselves. But when spiritual and, and biblical encouragement um, it's, it's not an exercise in self-esteem. What sets biblical encouragement apart from the empty encouragement of the world is that our source of encouragement is the truth of Scripture and what Christ has done, who He is and who we are because what He has done. In those first uh, couple of verses, and just because of time, I'm not going to read through them again, uh, the, writer, the author of Hebrews just really nails down who Christ is, and he says we can have confidence, we can have full assurance, all rooted in who Christ is. And that's why we can encourage with meaning and purpose is because it is rooted in the confidence of who Christ is and not who we are. That's what separates the kind of encouragement that we do in the church apart from that of the world. 
Not only is the source of encouragement different, but the end goal of encouragement is different. The end goal is that we build our confidence in Christ, and that confidence in Christ produces increased godliness and love and good works. So all that to say is a great definition of encouragement is this. Influencing another person meaningfully through words and actions meant to spur him towards increased godliness. Just so you know, I kind of stole that from Dr. Larry Crabb in his book. I can't take credit for that. I changed it a little bit, but uh, he's a man, so I just stole it from him. I'm going to read it again, a definition of encouragement. And I think this is really important for us to grapple with, uh, for us to really come away with something meaningful this morning. Encouragement is influencing another person meaningfully through words or actions that are meant to spur him towards increased godliness, him or her towards increased godliness. Anyone can give a compliment, can't we? We're really good about that, doing it just, you know, in passing. But the question I really want us to, to wrestle with, and maybe in your life groups, you guys can, can wrestle through this question too, and I'm not going to answer it because I think it would just take way too long. But the question is, is how do we encourage each other with the end of increased godliness in mind? How can we be intentional that we're not just giving compliments that, that make us feel better about ourselves, but, but give compliments that encouragement that helps people have, build their confidence in God that encourages them towards increased godliness and love and good deeds? That is a great question to ask. Now, there are lots of ways to encourage each other, and again, I don't have time to go over all of them this morning, but, um, and that should be an encouragement to you, trying to be honoring of your time. But I want to focus a little bit on, on just words of encouragement to one another. I don't want to focus on words because words have a great capacity to do great harm, and they have a capacity to do great good. Another illustration in Dr. Larry Kraft's book, it's called Encouragement. It's a great read if you want to uh, go through that. But he, he had an illustration there. He was talking about parents going to a cross-country meet for their kids. And he was saying, you know, if you go to a, any, any meet for your kids, whether it's football or basketball, but just he was saying cross-country, you go there, and, and he see parents all the time, you know, looking at their kids running and, and encouraging them, being like, you know, keep going, you're doing good, keep kicking, don't give up, you know, breathe, 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 you know, kick, 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 keep going, keep going, you're gaining, you know, and they're just yelling everything possibly, they possibly can to get their child to cross the finish line. And he's like, one thing that I never heard was a parent out there that was like, you're going kind of slow, you're not, uh, actually, you're doing pretty bad, you might as well just stop, why don't you just take a break and we'll try again next year. You know, it's not like you're going to get a college scholarship, you know, it's just like there's not really a whole lot of purpose for you finishing. You don't really hear parents doing that to the kids, and yet you hear that going on a lot of times in the church. I don't think we intentionally do it. Sometimes it's just the vinegar in our life that's not tempered by the truth of Scripture, and that just pours over into other people's lives sometimes. But it's so easy for us to use our words and, and discourage each other. I remember when I was back in Wisconsin in my first pastoral position, and I was a pretty new youth pastor, and there was a, a, a woman who came up to me and, in the hallway, and it was right after church, and she came up to me, and I kid you not, she looked me straight in the eyes, and she, was, she asked me, and I was a youth pastor, and she's like, do you know of any, any good uh, youth groups my kids can go to? I'm under no delusion to think that I am God's gift to teenagers and the best youth pastor in the whole world, but... Um, Thankfully, it was almost so ridiculously mean and cruel to say that to a pastor that I, I just laughed on the inside. I told her, 
there's a lot of other youth groups I'd rather her go to with her kids if that's going to be her, her attitude. So I was more than happy to tell her about some of the other great youth groups in town. Um, but, you know, those, those are sometimes the kind of words that just flow out of the, of the vinegar side of our lives when they're not tempered by God's truth and scripture engaging them. And, and that's not what I want our church to be characterized by. I, I don't want us to, to, to use words to, to tear down. I want us to use our words uh, to encourage and to, to build up, to provoke to the end of, of godliness and love and, and to good works. That's what I'd love. A couple of verses real quick here from Proverbs about how we should use, about words and the power of them. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 12.25, good words can make an anxious heart glad. Proverbs uh, 15.4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life. Proverbs 16.24, pleasant words are sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs 25.11, like apples of gold and setting of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstances. James 3, 5 through 6, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it has a power to determine the course of human existence. Words are powerful. They inspire confidence. They strengthen the soul and produce unshakable resolve to complete the task at hand. And God has called us to, to stir each other up, to provoke each other towards increased godliness and to love and good works. Encouragement, I don't want you to get into this, just a little side note. Encouragement isn't always just coming to church and smiling at each other. And, you know, I've, I've seen people like that, you know, just like, seems like they're always happy, and you just want to slap them to see if you can make them, you know, frown or something like that. You know, encouragement isn't just going through life and, you know, with a fake smile like everything is fine. Uh, in this passage, the part we skipped over, in fact, it's interesting to see how the author of Hebrews actually jumps down into the trenches into the places where sometimes the smile fade away and, and, and our heart hurts for people because they are, they are entangled in uh, the web of sin that is uh, controlling their lives. Encouragement sometimes goes to those places. And so it's not, I don't want to give the, the false impression that encouragement is just going around pretending like everything is okay when it's not. Encouragement sometimes means uh, that we, we go to our brother and sister with heavy hearts and address the problem of sin in their lives because what are we trying to do? We're trying to produce increased godliness. That means that we are at battle with sin. That means we're going with them, trying to, to do battle with that sin and encourage increased godliness and love and good works. This morning, and just a kind of in closing application, I want to provoke you guys a little bit. I want to poke you a little bit, encourage you towards increased godliness. One of the most encouraging things for me as a parent is when my kids uh, start learning how to do something. I love my daughter Abigail, who's two years old, but you know I'm completely tired of is changing diapers, having to cut up her food. You know, parents, you know the routine of all the different things that you have to do for your child. They're so cute and they cuddle, but when you change one of those messy diapers that squirted out the back of the diaper, it takes all the fun out of it. You know, it's just like, oh, I'm so ready for them to grow up. And, you know, it's like... Uh, it's the same way with puppies. It's like with puppies, they're really cute and cuddly, but does anybody really want their puppy to be unpotty trained the whole time? It's like, no, it's like we want them to grow up. And as parents, it's an encouragement to parents to look and see their kids. I'm so glad that my kids are starting to buckle themselves into the car. You know, I'm like, yes, finally, you know, getting away from the car seat somewhat. It's like, you know, you get those victories where they're learning and they're growing. 
and you're like, wow, what an encouragement that is. It brings freedom and, uh, to life, and it's just great. And I think the greatest encouragement to the pastors, to Pastor Tom and myself, is when we look at you guys and we see you guys growing. And we can help you grow a little bit, but really, when my kids, when my kids really start growing, am I feeding them or are they feeding themselves? As they really learn and grow, they start feeding themselves. I'm still providing them the food, but as they grow and grow and grow, eventually they're going to get out of the house and they're, they're getting their own food and they're feeding themselves. That's kind of the process of moving towards maturity. And, and yet so many times in the church, you know, we, we rely on somebody to spoon feed God's word to us, almost like we're little babes or, or in elementary school providing that food. And I don't think our church will ever really grow and to be what God has meant it to be as long as we're relying on just the pastors and teachers, which are great guys, you know, to, to give you God's word. But we've got to be able to delve into it and to feast on it for our own, for yourselves and your devotions and your own time, prayer time by yourself. That is powerful. In the book of Hebrews, in, in chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, it has this passage that I'm going to read to you real quick that I think is hopefully going to be an encouragement and provoke us a little bit. It says, about this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Not a great start talking about the people. You have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. He's setting the bar pretty high for the people in, in, uh, in this community of believers. You should be teachers by now. But you need someone to teach you again. They've already been taught. They need to be taught again. The basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I want to show you a video real quick and ask a very poignant question of, is your faith still in kindergarten? Brenda, can you show it real quick? Good morning, Reagan. Good morning. Good morning, Madison. Good morning, Johanna. Good morning, Good morning. Johnny. People are always asking me why. Why do the same thing every year? Why not move on? And I say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Johnny? Present. I'm comfortable. I know the routine. And I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty popular around here. I do really well in sports. Well, I'm just very successful here. Why would I go and mess that up by graduating? B. I mean, in the first grade, I may not know all the answers. D, D, dog. E. The hours are longer. I hear they don't even have nap time. I mean, I just don't see the upside. Then first grade leads to second grade, second to third. Then you're in high school reading boring books with no pictures. Three, four, five. But he was still hungry. Next thing you know, people expect you to get a job and give up summer vacation. <laughs> no, sir. I think I found my niche. Thank you very much. Home sweet kindergarten. Besides, I mean, what if I failed first grade? How humiliating would that be? Nope, just don't think I could handle that kind of embarrassment. And sometimes letter Y, too. 
That was not a good choice. Very disappointed. Is your faith still in kindergarten? Guys, it's time to grow up. It's time to mature, and it's time to stir each other up. Grow in our confidence in what Christ has done, and use that confidence as motivation for us to grow and increase godliness and to love and good works. It's time to grow up, to mature, and to stir each other up. I'm going to take a play out of Pastor Tom's playbook. One of the things that he does a great job of every year is that he challenges the board to, to decide what their next spiritual step is as individuals. What are you going to work on this year to grow up, to become those teachers, to not just keep uh, eating the milk of God's word, but to grow in maturity and wisdom and knowledge and favor with God and man. What, what can we do? And it's a great challenge. And I want to provide, you know, I want to throw that challenge out there for all of you guys too and just ask you, what is your next spiritual step? What are you going to do to challenge yourself, something that you will do? It's not just about doing, but it's about being in God's word and feasting on his word what are you going to do to infuse God's word into your life experiences? What are you going to do to stir yourself up, to stir up other people in this church? What is your next spiritual step? Just in closing, I'm going to read this last passage, and, and then we'll close in prayer. Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be any, any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as is it called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for again for your word that is truth and that is life. And, and uh, God, I thank you that you have infused our lives with truth. God, we were hopelessly swimming in our, our own vinegar, the, the mess that we have made and the discouragement of life, of, of sin and death and, and sickness and and suffering and pain, God, uh, the problems that we have created because we are selfish and we think alone, think about ourselves. God, I thank you that you have come in, the truth of, of your, your son, Jesus Christ, to come and save us, and the truth of the gospel, you have infused us with hope. And so, Lord, I pray that you will stir up our hearts today. Help us not to become complacent or content, uh, God, and allow that, that truth to be separated from uh, from our experiences in our life, Lord, but help us to, to stir each other up, Lord, so that we can uh, grow in godliness and to, uh, to love and good works. And so, Father, I just pray that you are glorified in our lives. I pray, God, that you will be glorified in our church as we walk in unity, as we walk in love with each other, and as we seek to serve you and to do your will. And so, God, we just give you glory for all the good that comes from our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.